Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Today we are bringing you part two of a two-part sponsored podcast series discussing insulin delivery for patients with diabetes. In part one, Mary Caffrey, Associate Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care, spoke with pediatric endocrinologist Dr. Greg Forlenza about pre-pivotal data. In this segment, they conclude that conversation. Welcome to the AJMC podcast, Advancements in Automated Insulin Delivery. I'm Mary Caffrey, Associate Editorial Director for the American Journal of Managed Care. This second of two segments features exciting pre-pivotal data for the Omnipod 5, an important development in diabetes care coming in 2021. We also discussed issues with pair coverage and the current focus on disparities in access to diabetes technology. Joining me is Dr. Greg Ferlenza, a pediatric endocrinologist at the Barbara Davis Center at the University of Colorado. In this segment, Dr. Ferlenza will discuss the pre-pivotal data. Today's podcast is brought to you by Insulet. Welcome, Dr. Ferlenza. So we're discussing some features of the Omnipod 5, and I'm hoping, Dr. Forlenza, that you can share with us some recent pre-pivotal data involving the Omnipod 5. Yes. So um, that's a paper that I was first author on that came out in Diabetes Technology and Therapeutics um, in January of this year. The, uh, the pivotal data will be presenting at Endo Society um, in March. So depending on when people listen to this, uh, that may already be out. Um, the pre-pivotal data was data that we gathered in December and January of 2019 to 2020, so right prior to the pandemic, where we had people start using the full commercial build of the system um, in rental houses for a few days, and then they went home and, and wore the system at home um, for a total of 14 days. And the beginning of the study, we tested the different set points. So we had them try the 130, 140, and 150 set points. And then after a few days at each of those, we had them choose their own target, which was almost universally 110. And what we showed with that, uh, comparing it to the data that they had just before the study, so a crossover comparison, um, we, what we showed was that the time and range was significantly improved in all the age groups that we had for people who had pretty minimal hypoglycemia exposure, their hypoglycemia didn't increase. For people who had a little bit more hypoglycemia exposure beforehand, their hypoglycemia significantly decreased. Generally, we saw about a 10 to 12% improvement in time and range um, with use of the 110 target. And in terms of a concrete number, that's about two and a half hours per day that people are spending more time in range than previously. And that's something that isn't just statistically significant, it's clinically significant and it's emotionally significant. Two and a half hours a day more of doing something that you like is something that you can feel and tell on a daily basis. And we also know from the um, studies on CGM data in, um, in larger populations that it's associated with a significantly decreased risk of um, microvascular disease. So what's the coolest thing about that and what we've seen with AID systems is it breaks that DCCT idea that you have a seesaw and you have to pick either better average with more hypo or less hypo with higher average. We're able to just automate through that and decrease the hypo and decrease the hyper 
or at least not increase the hypo while decreasing the hyper. And so it's one of those rare circumstances in medicine where you're not doing a trade-off, you're just hitting a win-win. And that's why I obviously love technology is it enables us to do things that we thought previously not to be possible. So how are these systems covered by payers? Um, so generally we see pretty good coverage by payers, but obviously we want to continue to see better and better and, and universal coverage. Um, here in Colorado, where I practice, um, we're very fortunate to have uh, coverage for CGM for all of our pediatric patients. Although we do run into issues getting CGM coverage for um, some of our adults, um, resulting sometimes in orphaning where people that were able to get and be very successful with the system you know, in their teens and early 20s, suddenly not getting access to that system. Um, the pumps we generally see very good coverage for, but obviously, as I mentioned earlier, with AID systems, we need both in order to have the system um, covered. Uh, the historical way of covering the insulin pumps has been the, the durable medical equipment four-year um, coverage model, where a pump is paid for, you have that pump for four years, um, it's warranty for four years, and then when the four-year warranty ends, you can get a different device. And it's resulted in this weird thing where people actually want their warranties to expire. Most other things we own, we don't want our warranties to expire. But in this, sometimes people do so they can change or get the newest model. Um, one of the exciting things that we're doing, uh, that Intellect's doing with the OP5 system is they're moving towards um, pharmacy coverage where rather than paying for four years worth of a device all at once, the, uh, the payer is just paying each time the person gets a box of pods. And one of the things that I didn't mention in terms of features about OP5 is that it's very much almost certainly looking like we're gonna have phone control of the systems. So there won't be a PDM or a piece of durable medical equipment that you get and have to keep and not break and then have replaced you know, for four years, you'll just dose from your own cell phone. And as a result of that, you're not buying some expensive thing you have to maintain. It's just every time you get a box of pods, the payer pays for the box of pods. And so it removes that huge upfront entry cost to pumps that has typically been frightening for patients and also probably for payers. That creates several benefits. One is patients aren't locked into any given design for four years or locked out of other designs for four years. But from payers, it also hopefully helps with this idea that I'm gonna spend you know, 10 plus thousand dollars on a device for someone who won't have my plan a year from now. And it also creates a, um, a month to month predictable cost as opposed to a year to year unpredictable cost. And so I've been talking a lot about how technology can create win-wins. I'm not a, a finance person, although my wife is, but um, I think that this kind of creates a win-win for payers and patients also, that pa patients can jump in, try a technology, hopefully be successful with it, and payers can have a less variable, more predictable, less kind of extreme to extreme payment structure, and patients can just get it at their pharmacy like they get everything else. So I, I really like this as a design um, in terms of a provider who wants to see my patients get something that, um, that they like, 
Um, and so from a pump perspective, I think that this is, uh, is a really cool jump forward. And obviously I always continue to push, you know, the key is gonna be making sure that we get, you know, CGM coverage as well, because our, our patients uh, and their families are gonna need access to CGM for, for this to be successful. And um, a lot of people like me believe that, you know, that's an essential element of, you know, good diabetes control in, you know, 2021 and going forward. Well, speaking of access, in the last year, we've, heard, we've talked so much about the issue of healthcare disparities. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've seen in terms of uh, healthcare technology access among, and disparities in diabetes technology use among the type 1 population? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a big area of discussion and, and one that um, can get uh, pretty emotional. Um, we, the data from the type 1 diabetes exchange and all the registries that have looked at this have shown that there continues to be a pretty big disparity in technology access and technology use across different um, racial and ethnic groups. And basically the, the summary that my friends uh, with the type 1 diabetes exchange have said is that uh, African-American family um, with an annual income of over $100,000 a year has a probability of using technology that's similar to a Caucasian family with an income of under $20,000 a year on Medicaid. And it's unclear why this gap exists, although obviously across the um, endocrinology field, we're, we're trying to be reflective internally and thinking, is this something that you know, comes from us not engaging in discussions with families as much? Um, somewhat it varies state to state based on what Medicaid or Medicare pays for um, in certain populations, um, but a lot of it is, is, is providers. Um, at Barbara Davis Center, we have a very large Hispanic population here in Colorado. About 15% of our patients are Hispanic. And one of the ways we've started to bridge this gap is we developed a Latino clinic where we have Spanish-speaking providers, Spanish-speaking nurses, Spanish-speaking dietitians and device trainers. And that's helped to increase the, the use of technologies. Um, I, I've analyzed my own practice data and I think I kind of benefit here from the, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail phenomenon where I talk about technology with everyone. I get enthusiastic and sometimes wildly so about technology with all my patients from day one. And so I think that that also helps. Um, I very much believe that it's, it's provider driven um, in terms of not trying to sell people on technology. But the other element is that historically we've had these ideas that people had to earn technology, that you had to have a certain hemoglobin A1C to be successful with technology. You had to have diabetes for a certain amount of time. You'd be testing a certain amount of times per day. And the studies that we've done have proven again and again and again that those were very paternalistic ideas, not rooted in data, not rooted in literature that aren't supported by real world use. That that people with the newest technologies who weren't previously testing probably had some barrier about doing finger sticks on a schedule that's overcome by using CGM and they can be successful with CGM. The people who weren't bolusing previously with automated systems can be more likely to bolus and our group's gathering some of that data now. So it just gets back to that idea that as long as your patients are willing to change their infusion sites every three days, the percentage of people who can be successful with technology is dramatically larger than what you thought it was. And you can see tremendous gains. When we've looked at this 
in some of our studies that have done this, we've seen kids who started with A1Cs of 10 have their A1Cs come down to 7.5 to 8, you know, two to four times the delta that we see in other studies because they have so much room to gain. And they've been successful with tech technologies. And you want to talk about complication reduction. You bring someone's A1C down from 10 to 7.5, that's bigger than the DCCT in terms of what the effect was. And these are people who are going to go from high risk of complications to minimal risk of complications. And I obviously feel emphatically that these are the people we should be targeting for technology because they're the ones who are going to see, you know, real long-term microvascular benefits from it. Well, Dr. Ferlanza, this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. I'm so thankful for you to join us. For all of us at the American Journal of Managed Care, I'm Mary Caffrey, and thank you for joining us. For all of us at the American Journal of Managed Care, I'm Mary Caffrey. I want to thank Insulet for bringing us today's podcast, and thank you, the listeners, for joining us. For more updates in managed care, be sure to visit AGMC.com and sign up for our e-newsletter. AGMC is also on social media. On Twitter, follow us at at AGMC underscore journal. And on Facebook, you can like us at the American Journal of Managed Care and follow our AGMC page on LinkedIn.